Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, hi. Thank you for listening as always. Welcome back. Before I get started on a number of different things here, uh, first of all, I want to make everybody aware that I wrote another Substack. I'm kind of starting to do that a little more frequently, apparently. Again, I, I wanted to keep it to about one a month, but uh, every now and again, if I feel compelled to write something or I see a certain inconsistency, I, I feel like I have to write about it and correct something. So I'll certainly do that if that ends up being the case with a little more regularity, maybe. But I want to point uh, people over to my latest one, which again was titled The Biggest Revelation from the November 13th COVID Jab Injury Hearing. And again, what was interesting about that hearing were a variety of things, but what prompted me to write a substack about it, and of course I spoke about it at the end of the last episode, because again, you know, for some, well, for some reason, and I, I'm not entirely sure why, why, why someone could watch such a hearing and then not pick up on the more oh, I don't know, more nefarious points of view here and and the more nefarious revelations, even though those revelations aren't even new, but looking past sort of the obvious, you know, negative statistics that we know about these shots. So I'll, I'll basically preface it like this. I remember I got on the Vigilant Fox's website and all the different news articles that this alleged person has, which again, I don't know who they are or where they came from, but they just showed up and then all of a sudden they started getting all these views and all these likes and all these shares and whatever. Um, I just I just found it odd that the headline for their summary of that Monday afternoon hearing by Marjorie Taylor Greene with again, Rents Malone and, and Dr. Biss was, was that the entire hearing, so he thought, had to do with the declining birth rate and infertility and sterility. We've known that for a very long time. We've known that from the very start. We've known that vaccination during pregnancy will, will kill a baby, make the mother very sick, and even leading into sort of you know certain other revelations, I guess. And again, I, I fully understand that not everybody knows this to this point, which is unfortunate, but Again, it's possible that the Vigilant Fox's article wasn't for us because we know a little bit more about what's going on. But if that was their takeaway, th- then I, I think that they just missed the mark, which is why I wrote the substack. But again, we know that vaccination after birth in children causes childhood cancer and a variety of other issues, in particular blood-borne cancers and bone cancers and things of this nature. So the largest revelation for me personally when I was watching it was was rather simple and direct. Robert Malone uh, still is on the side of not believing that this is an intentional depopulation program. That's unfortunate because he was sitting right next to Tom Rents, and Tom Rents, as I said in the last episode, openly disagrees with Robert Malone and knows that this is a depopulation program. So that in, that exchange, of course, took place. But Robert Malone also, again, and he's right, and I'm giving him credit on this, he openly admitted that graphene oxide and DNA from outside of a human body, whether it be from fetal tissue or it be from monkey kidney cells or, frankly, any animal outside of the body being put into a potion and then injected into a human being 
in the form of a quote-unquote vaccine can cause cancer and is highly toxic. That, that's it then. I mean, for me, that's it. The discussion is over. Shots cause cancer. That's the takeaway. DNA modified, DNA injected shots and, and concocted shots, which the FDA says openly that that's in all of their shots, along with now mRNA, that both together and separately cause cancer, which means no one should be delivering shots to anybody for anything ever again. Ever. I mean, that's, that's it. There is no more discussion. There can't be. But where Malone's hypocrisy shows itself is when he doesn't think it's a depopulation program, but he'll openly admit that the FDA knows this, that it's in their paperwork, that they say this, and then they, op- they basically openly cover up the ill effects as a result. Well, why then, Bobby? Why? Why would they do all of that and then work hard to cover it up? Because again, he, he even openly states that Rochelle Walensky knows about the ill effects of the shots, in particular when it comes to cancers and heart damage and infertility, and openly worked hard, and he has the evidence, so he said, that openly worked hard to, to squash that and to not investigate but actually just dismiss it. That's intentional then. And that shows an intentional purpose to harm people. It's an intentional motive to harm. So, yes, it is a depopulation agenda. He, of course, has ties, Malone does, to three-letter agencies. He has a lot of friends who, who work within these agencies. He himself worked for the DOD, openly says so. And again, he and the likes of Steve Kirsch don't think that it's a depopulation agenda, and yet they vocalize all of the evidence and the moves and the ins and the outs and everything else that would indicate that they should know that. So, you know, again, when Tom Rents openly says, look, I got the evidence out in my car, I'll go get it. It's in boxes in my car. And, uh, and, and I've got evidence that, that is pretty clear that this is the case. Everybody should be asking to see that evidence. Everybody should be clamoring for it, including Robert Malone, who was sitting right next to him. Now, I've been over a great deal of that here on, the, on this show. And of course, Catherine Watt and her research has openly stated that the DOD is in on this. But I highly recommend, again, just checking out that substack because, again, it's, it's undeniable. And that's the takeaway. You, you, can't, you can't sit through one of those hearings and, and listen to what they say and the evidence that they bring to bear and then say, you know what? I need prenatal shots. And I need to make sure that I get them because that's going to help me and my unborn child. And then, when that's all said and done, if I give birth, which I'm certain I will because what could possibly go wrong, when I give birth, I'm going to pump them full of every shot because shots are medicine and shots help people. You can't say that anymore. No one can say that. So again, it doesn't have to be my Substack article that's a reference point. There are endless Substack articles that openly talk about this. 
it's just whether or not people want to see it and whether or not people are willing to accept it. And that actually leads me to this next thing. Um, in the last episode, in the description below, I referenced a presentation that was titled Kazarian Mafia, the God Eaters. I watched the entire first part of it. And I'm about halfway through the second part, and it really is thought-provoking. Now, he references Cliff High. I'm not a huge fan of Cliff's. He starts talking about space aliens, like I've said. That's where he loses me. And I, I again, I understand that there's a, a large debate between the timetable of when Earth was created by God. I'm certain he created it. No one else did. I don't think that the Bible is fiction. I'm certain it's gone through revisions over the course of time, and certain books, of course, have been left out, like the book of Enoch and a number of other things, which again are brought up within this presentation. But I highly recommend checking it out again if you haven't already. And just and basically bearing with it, just just sit with it, and you're you know there's going to be parts where you disagree, but the general again theme of it is is beyond accurate. I think that there is again, if I was to summarize the first part, I would say there's a level of evil that has always existed on Earth that many people cannot possibly comprehend. That when they think of evil, they think of somebody robbing a store or somebody killing somebody or somebody kidnapping someone or somebody being raped or murdered or whatever. It's way worse than that. And it always has been way worse. And this guy gets into it. And it, and it really is remarkably overwhelming. There is an audio clip here that I want to play right off the top here from the second part of that that I found just fascinating and it made sense to me. Um, but first, I do want to run through this very quickly because, again, it was a nice little slide that he had in the first presentation. Um, I, I'm going to mispronounce this incorrectly, but basically from the top down, from basically in, in I would say, a power structure, what he states is, is that at the very top you have a demiurge, if I'm saying that right, which again is basically Satan, Lucifer, Baal, and Moloch. And you have that at the top, that that's sort of the top of the evil chain, so to speak. And certainly the individuals that have been brainwashing us here on earth for quite some time. Below them, he, he claims that you have fallen angels, watchers, uh, archnons, or archnons, if I'm saying that right, and reptoids. Below that, there's the black nobility, the black pope, the order of the black snake. The Zoroastrian, if I'm saying that right, the Nephilim bloodline and the Nephilim bloodlines. And then below that, you have the Kazarian Mafia, the Jesuit Order, the Babylonian and Canaanite bloodlines. Then he draws a line and he separates these four groups. And he says, those four groups are up top. Those are the, those are the evil ones that are, again, running things, essentially. Below that, then you have Freemasons, the Illuminati, the Committee of 300, the Club of Rome, the Scottish Rite, and the CIA. And I'm sure a, a plethora of other um, three-letter agencies. Below that, he says, then you have low-level government officials, judges, FBI, the WHO, and the DEA. Then below that, you have entertainers, media, sports figures, and other public officials. And then below that is basically us according to him, which again is the feeders and the breeders 
uh, the commodities and the assets, and that we are viewed as commodities and assets to everybody above us. So it's an interesting power structure. It makes sense to me. It, I, I completely believe it. I have no doubt about it. And it makes perfect sense, too, because when you try to reach out to these people and you try to get them to say particular things or not even say particular things, but address serious matters, they won't. They won't even entertain them. And then when you see, for example, people who are the entertainers or individuals in the media or sports figures or public officials, if they go against what the people above them are pushing, then those people disappear. So then you end up, again, going back up the chain here, so to speak. You have low-level government officials, judges, FBI, WHO, and DEA, who will make the people below them disappear if the people below them don't play ball, essentially. And then, of course, if individuals in the FBI, WHO, uh, and even low-level government officials don't play ball, well, who's responsible for offing them? Freemasons, the Illuminati, Committee of 300, Club of Rome, CIA, Scottish Rite, etc., etc. If you keep going up that line, if people aren't playing ball within a particular level, it's always going to be the people above them that knock them off. And, and that's been going on forever. So it's going to continue to happen, unfortunately. But knowing your enemy is the stuff of Sun Tzu. And we have to know who our enemy is on a consistent basis and understand that uh you know that that the enemy has a job to do and it's not a good one and it's certainly not in our favor but again if you were to ask people do you know who the real enemies are they 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 wouldn't have a clue they'd say oh i don't know uh, democrats and some of them republicans that's way worse than that it's way worse so again I recommend checking out the first part of that and the second part as well they're both on YouTube i'm thinking on putting them both on my uh on my BitChute and Rumble channel just for future reference also. I'm, I may do that, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, but I want to play this very uh, quick audio clip. Again, it was from a woman, and she's talking about the waking up process and what it means and why some people are waking up and some people aren't, and why some people are having a harder time with it and why some people aren't. So give this audio a listen here in three, two, one. 70% of the population lives in a consensus state, which is basically a herd mentality. So these are the literal NPCs of the world. So they don't form independent thought. When they want to know what their opinions are on certain topics, they just look to the external world. So these kinds of people will tend to get the most offended when you present them certain views that go outside of their paradigm, because their beliefs actually represent unconscious security needs. So so they unconsciously gain security in trusting the mainstream media, celebrities, the experts, the government. They basically can't really think for themselves, so they seek security in outsourcing their opinions to the outer world. And moving from this consensus herd mentality to the next stage, which is an individuated state, is actually often a traumatic process because instead of trusting the external world like you always have, the government, the authorities, you actually have to learn how to 
trust self as an inner guidance system instead. And in order to do that, you actually have to decondition and undo a lot of what you thought was true about yourself and the world in the process. So this is a really alienating and lonely process by design, because in order to discover who you are, you actually have to separate from the herd to begin with. And the thing is, you can't actually force people out of this state. It has to come from an inner calling. So it has to come from them realizing that there is something different inside of them that can't be explained by the expert science, celebrities, government. And in my view, it really takes a certain ripeness of the soul to even want to go down that path because it's not easy. Most people will actually refuse the call of their individuation again and again and again because their unconscious security needs to stay in the unknown, the known rather, of the consensus is so strong. So you don't want to like hate them for that. It's actually a necessary stage in their own soul's development. And this is why trying to wake up family, friends, and others in general is almost always a failed project. And really, how I feel about it, the best thing you can do in these times is focus on your own soul evolution and find something unique about you that you can bring back to the world. World. And the reason why I'm saying that is because it is the most highly individuated and spiritualized people who actually create the next consensus. And they don't do this by forcefully trying to wake up the people who are asleep. They do this by bringing back their true essence, their true nature, and their soul gifts back to the consensus where they can uplift, inspire, and show people there's a different way to be. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. In fact, my apologies. That was in the first part. That's in part one of Kazarian Mafia, the God Eaters. And she speaks at about the, uh, the 32-minute mark, give or take. But she's right. I mean, we, we, are, we are writing the future right now. And that's the battle that's taking place. That's why Substack is as popular as it is when it comes to a place for people to both write, speak, and read and listen. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why I do this show. And it's one of the, actually, it was the main driver as to why I wrote books in the first place. The books that I've written in the past, I wrote them not just to be used immediately, potentially in a college classroom setting, which didn't end up happening, but I wrote them w with the broader picture in mind, which again was when I die, someone will come across it and say to themselves, this person had it figured out. This person had it figured out back then. And then, of course, they'll hopefully go through the reference section. They'll see a bunch of older authors, and they'll pick up their books. They'll say, wow, those people had it figured out before he had it figured out. So why is it that we're consistently being subjected to things that aren't real or th that are certainly um, counter to what these individuals are writing about and speaking about? And then that question, that becomes the battle inside of the person's mind. But I completely agree with her. Again, it, it, it really does have to do with many references to the Matrix, of course, metaphorically speaking, the Agent Smiths constantly popping up, which of course is Satan himself, in my opinion, constantly trying to drag people back down and keep people shackled to what they are familiar with and what they know. Because the moment you start bringing up something that they can't comprehend, uh, they they shut down immediately, and it's remarkably 
problematic for a variety of reasons, as we all know, and it's sad. It's a very sad thing to watch, and it's a sad thing actually to even watch in youth, which is something that I'll get to a little bit later here, but I just wanted to mention that again right off the top, and uh, what I'll probably do again is, is link both of those in the description below again if you're interested in checking those out. And again, my thanks to the individual who listens to the show. We communicate from time to time. He knows who he is. He was the one who sent me those videos. I really do appreciate it. It's really been eye-opening and also reaffirming. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just well done. And the individual who, again, puts it together is, is rather calm and direct and common sense and you know is, is rather objective about the whole thing, which is great. So there you go. Okay, now there's this. This is quite the week when it came to uh, the Zionists doing what they do, which of course is engaging in Bolshevik tactics and then trying to normalize all of that. First of all, of course, you had Nikki Haley on Fox News openly stating that everybody who's on social media needs to be outed, that no one should have an anonymous account, that uh, all the social media companies should immediately give up all the IP addresses and, and individuals' identities based on you know where they live, who they are, what they do. And we know why. It's because Nikki Haley is, is, is again, a Zionist. She's a globalist of the highest order. She's completely controlled. She's totally useless. And she wants to kill people. It's, it's really that simple. She wants to ruin people's lives. That if you don't play the government game, uh, you're, you're screwed. What I would love someone to do, and I'm sure someone has already done this someplace, but I would love someone to do a deep dive on Nikki Haley. A real deep dive. I mean, go back into her lineage. What did, what did her parents do? How is it that Nikki Haley got to where she is? How is it that she became a UN ambassador for the United States under Donald Trump? Uh, of course, became a massive war hawk, always has been. How did she become the governor of, of South Carolina before that? Where did she come from? Because again, if, if, you, if you listen to the, the lectures that are in that Kazarian presentation on YouTube, all indications would, would point to the fact that Nikki Haley, somewhere along the line, has either killed someone or witnessed a murder or a child sacrifice or something along those lines. I mean, look at her face. Look at her eyes. She doesn't look well. She looks like she has a proverbial gun to her head on a constant basis. So she's clearly, again, to be able to rise to the position where she is and be so delusional that she thinks that she can actually be the president of the United States, that uh, she, again, in order to get there, she had to have seen something or done something or been a part of something that is beyond highly illegal and almost unthinkable. And we have to assume that most people have gotten to that point, uh, you know, because, again, they've, they've witnessed something that they should not have because their controllers made them or whatever it may be. But it was, it was not just Nikki Haley this week, of course. It was uh, Kathy Hochul, the governor from New York. Same thing. We need to out these people. We need to find them. We need to do this. We need to do that. They're, they're telling you who they are. They are Zionists. They are Bolsheviks. And that is all, of course, of Kazarian Jewish origin. And it is all problematic. This philosophy has been destroying our country for a very long time, and they are working their tails off 
to normalize it and to normalize those tactics. And again, the place where you can, of course, see it with regularity are on these college campuses now. Not a single outlet that I have seen, this could be my next Substack hell. You know, these, these flippin' ideas, <laughs> they just, they won't go away. Uh, you know, my next Substack might be the simple, the simple subject of the fact that every college and university and every media outlet, whether they be on the proverbial left or right, apparently has no problem kicking Palestinian students or, or any student of Middle Eastern origin or bloodline out of their universities, sanctioning them, punishing, punishing them, and limiting their free speech. And yet nobody is touching the Jewish students with a 10-foot pole. No one's saying, wow, they were doxing Middle Eastern students on the side of trucks that, that, that show the electric messages you know, flashing on the sides. Why is no one shutting that down? Why is nobody punishing them via the uh, you know, university punishment apparatus that exists for students? Seems like kind of a big deal that, that they're inciting violence, as they consistently say, which is remarkably cliche and, of course, totally hypocritical. But they're openly shutting down the free speech of one side. And no one, and I mean nobody, is speaking out about how it's one-sided. It, it blows me away. I just, again, it should be the most glaring evidence of who it is that allegedly rules over us, so they would think. It's absolutely incredible. Again, the, the, the spat between Candace Owens and, uh, and, and Ben Shapiro. Same thing. Same exact thing. They both work for the Daily Wire. He's been losing his mind over the last month. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's gone completely insane. He always has been. Let's not kid ourselves. I've never liked him. But Candace Owens speaks out about it uh, and speaks against him. And all of a sudden, what? She should be lynched? You know, that, that, uh, that, that she should just be thrown off a cliff because how dare you criticize the Jews? It's absolutely nuts. She's married to a Jewish guy. She has mixed race kids. But again, it's, it's the whole, if you go against this narrative, then, then what you say is ridiculous and uh, you know, you're, you're not a philosopher nor sophisticated on the subject, so how would you possibly know? That right there should tell you that whoever says that is in the wrong. Whoever's been doing that has been lying for centuries and that those individuals, that their time is coming. In fact, their time is here. The cat is out of the bag. Endless people can, can see the exhausting nature of their approach, that, it's, that they believe it's their way or the highway all of the time, and they will attempt to crush anybody who goes against them, even if it's a coworker that they cut the checks for. That right there again, that means they have something to hide. Of course, joke's on them. All their crimes are written out at length over the course of centuries, and we know what they are. And again, in the presentation regarding the Kazarian Mafia, the individual who has the YouTube channel uh, goes right through it. He goes through all of it. It's fascinating. Just fascinating. There's this too. I wanted to read this and go through this because, again, this is one of those debatable scenarios that I thought was rather interesting. This is making the rounds on greatawakening.win which again, 
I'm officially back again on that uh, on that chat board, and I've I've posted maybe three posts, and I'm already up like in the thousands when it comes to clicks, which is great. People are responding to what I'm putting on there, and I I know the game, and I know how to play the game, and I know what people are interested in. I think, not patting myself on the back, but you know, I, I've been on that site since its inception. And I was on vote, crushing it over there on vote for a very long time. Again, trying to share as much truthful information as humanly possible back when that was back up. Of course, there's still vote, but it's, it's not quite the same as the old vote was. Uh, either way, this was one of, the, one of the posts that was making the rounds on Great Awakening. I wasn't the one who put this together. Somebody else did. But here's what they did. They put a tweet from Glenn Greenwald, who I believe was the individual who, start, who started Substack. And used to work for the Intercept also, um, and then below it they they put this uh, this eight coon post or a four chan post or eight chan or whatever it is from those boards, and they basically just stack them on top of each other. I'm going to read through the whole thing, so here's what it says. Uh, Greenwald's tweet said the following. This is from November 15th. He said Israel is incentivized more than more than ever to withhold information that could prevent another Islamic terrorist attack on U.S. soil. Nothing would align the political class to support Israel's interests like War on Terror 2. Why isn't anyone talking about this? Unquote. So, I'll say this first. The first, the first line where he says Israel is incentivized more than ever to withhold information that could prevent another Islamic terrorist attack on U.S. soil. We don't need Israel's help with anything. I'm certain that our intelligence apparatus has it figured out. They know where these people are by and large. They have to. Space Force, for example, is not about space aliens and and planets. That's not what it's about. It's a surveillance apparatus that, of course, had to be pre-planned and pre-implemented for something like what's going on now, certainly at the border as we are being invaded. And of course, all of these foreigners are everywhere. They're in every town, they're in every city, and there's no doubt about that. And that's a very dangerous scenario. But he's right where he says again, basically, the normies are the individuals who would buy into this. That if an attack did occur, whether it was someone of Middle Eastern descent or not, Israel would do whatever they had to do, as would the Zionist apparatus of our country. They would certainly have to do whatever they could to paint the picture that Israel warned us and they said this might happen and even we thought this might happen. And look, it's dark-skinned individuals that are doing this. So, you know, there you go, America. You get what you deserve and now you need to support Israel even more because, again, we told you so and blah, blah, blah. That's... Again, that's preposterous, and unfortunately, there would be people who would believe that completely manufactured scenario. But here is here's the the Akun post below it, and it says the following. Again, this was dated on November sixth of this year. It says, "Quote: Why is Israel funding Hamas if they see them as their enemy?" which of course they are. And no one mentions this in, that, in the mainstream media that Israel is funding Hamas. Glenn Beck doesn't bring it up, Sean Hannity and the rest of those Zionist idiots. They don't bring any of this up. It then says, why are they funding attacks to happen on U.S. soil? Fifteen cities will be targeted. Airports, subway stations, and banks 
will be all hit. We're on a ticking time bomb. Assets are in place all over and will be activated, quote unquote, soon. CIA is involved. I don't doubt that. There's absolutely no reason to doubt that. Again, the CIA has been involved in things since forever. I mean, pick an episode. Pick a time there was an explosion on U.S. soil. The CIA was probably involved. Pick a time a, uh, a, you know, a politician or an actor or actress or whomever was, was assassinated. The CIA was involved. It then says CIA officer James somebody, it's blurred out, is the current chief of operations on what's called Project Catastrophe. It says previous known stations were Kyiv in the Ukraine from 2014 to 2017. They were the head of internal management and foreign affairs, allegedly. Uh, corporate liaison of Macpron, a cover shell company used for Ukrainian intelligence officers. Then it says CIA office, and then it's bl- blurred out. It says current COS Gaza City, Palestine. Previous stations were Kabul. Afghanistan from 2019 to 2021, and then Baghdad, Iraq from 2016 to 2018. So the implication again is that there would be multiple attacks coordinated over the course of time that would basically shake people up, uh, cause casualties, and then the apparatus that would be would use that as an excuse to wipe out all Middle Easterners and do so because that's what Israel wants. And that we should just believe Israel and we should just believe what's on the TV and and go through this whole charade all over again. I'm telling you, people aren't buying it anymore. There are so many people now not buying this and seeing right through it. And I think that that's great. I still think in the game of being vigilant, that we should still be vigilant. We should still carry a gun on our hip. We should still walk around with our head up and our eyes open, with our head on a swivel, pay attention to what's going on. Certainly stay away from cities if you can avoid them. I avoid them. I I detest cities. But either way, I know a lot of people live around them and work within them. But again, if you do, Carry a gun if you can, and just, you know, keep keep your eyes open. Again, avoiding air travel. Seems like kind of a big deal. If COVID wasn't good enough, something like that should be good enough. Why not? And, uh, you know, it, it's not about fear porn, and it's not about panicking anybody. It's just about being vigilant and understanding the psychological operation that's constantly at play here. So... Just wanted to bring that to your attention too. I think that's rather interesting, but uh, yeah, again, it's not new. It's a constant scenario that's that's been at play. It's something that's been discussed for a very long time, and of course, given the fact that we're being invaded on a constant basis from the southern border, border at the very least, and numerous borders for that matter, uh, you know, it, it it wouldn't surprise me at all that there's some kind of a cell or a quote unquote terror cell that that does exist. There's always been a terror cell in our country, though, and it's Satanism, it's Zionism, it's the Kazarian Mafia. They are the terrorists. We have to get, we have to get people, I'm not saying there aren't Middle Eastern dark-skinned terrorists, there certainly are, but, and, and we know that for a fact, but at the exact same time, 
we have to we have to be fully aware that when you hear that that word terrorist, in particular again from the Zionist media, they aren't talking about anybody of Jewish descent who's associated with these three-letter agencies in our own government, and they're certainly not going to refer to our own government as being terrorists. That would never happen. But we have to get away from hearing the word terrorist and just think Middle Eastern dark skin. Yes, that's what they mean by terrorist, and that's all they mean. No, it's everything. It's basically everybody who wants to kill white people. <laughs> that's, that's, that's essentially it, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty much the breakdown. Of course, it's everybody. It's anybody who's innocent is ultimately uh, you know, sought out to be the victim of, of real terrorism. But yeah, it's the elimination of us. It's the elimination of people who call evil evil, want evil to be destroyed, and want to live free and happy and, and long, peaceful lives. We are the terrorists, according to them. But anybody who, again, is against that, well, they're the terrorists, and they come in all shapes and sizes. So there you go. Okay, moving on uh, to education-related things here. And I want to mention this first. Cicely sent this my way. She said that this was in a homeschooling group online, uh, and somebody had made a particular post, and I, and I wanted to read through it because it really does, it really highlights the larger picture here with the field of education and, of course, what's going on specifically regarding the inability to think and how, again, this is, this is beyond problematic. L let me do my best to summarize a video that I saw the other day, too. It was a guy, and he was talking about particular people's IQ levels. Now, again, I've been over IQ before and, and of course, what that means, and I've jokingly referenced it as, as being legitimate. There's a lot of discrepancy and, and debate with the actual IQ test itself. I fully understand that as that would be the case with any examination of any kind or any rubric or measurement. Um, however, l let's run with it being real for, for just a moment. What, what the guy basically states is, is that anybody who has an IQ of 85 or below is essentially incapable of working out a hypothetical or imagining a hypothetical. Basically, they have no imagination. And the example that he uses is, is he says, say, for example, a person wakes up in the morning and every morning they eat breakfast. If you were to tell that person and ask that person, if you wake up tomorrow morning and you can't eat breakfast, what is it that you would do with your time? Again, a hypothetical situation, fill in the blank, what is it that you would do with your time? If the individual doesn't know what they would do with their time, then because they can't do the thing that they've always been doing this entire time, then that person basically has a sub 80 to 85 IQ. They can't think beyond the reality that they're currently living in or currently experiencing, and they're incapable of even coming up with a fictitious hypothetical to the point where they would actually create a logical answer. They wouldn't say something like, well, I guess I would just go take a shower, or who knows, maybe I'd go back to bed, or maybe I'd exercise, or maybe I would, you know, just, just go do something else, or, you know, whatever. They don't even reach that point. They just basically lock up and freeze. This right here is a huge problem when it comes to youth development.
because we're seeing this consistently, in particular, of course, within the American K-12 schools and university levels. There's little thinking going on, and it's more of just, again, drill and kill, as the Chinese refer to it as stuff the duck. All you're doing is, is you're just stuffing the person with as much use, useless shit and useless information that they can possibly absorb and or memorize, but you're not actually having them think about anything. You're not having them problem solve. And then, of course, what happens with a person's physical reaction or even emotional reaction when they're actually caused to think? Among many youth, unfortunately, even adults, and we, of course, have seen this among numerous adults, is that they will become upset. They will become physically upset. They will, and visually upset. They'll walk away, they'll stomp away, so much so that the adult will have the exact same response that a child would have. That they would, again, visibly become upset. They, of course, get that very stereotypical and very specific look on their face like they've just smelled something terrible. Because, again, it's, it's creating a glitch in their matrix and in the matrix, and, and they certainly don't want that. But when you have a child and an adult respond to, a, to, to, to the same thing, the same way, you know, that, that's not always indicative of, of a high IQ. And, and that's what that individual was, was referring to. But here's the online post she sent me. This is from an Anthony Esselin, if I'm saying that right. It says the following quote, Today a friend of mine who is teaching at a highly regarded liberal arts college told me about his first day of class. To counter the notion that God is, quote, an idea in the head, unquote, because you can't see him, he wanted to refer to other things you know about but can't really see, or can see only slightly or can experience only distantly or only by a series of intermediaries. He mentioned the Milky Way. None of his students could identify the Milky Way. He decided to bring them closer to home. He mentioned Jupiter. Quote, isn't that the planet that's no longer a planet? Unquote, somebody said. Thinking of Pluto. They didn't know about Jupiter either. He says they have the intellectual level of 10-year-olds. I was stunned, and when it comes to the colossal failure of our schools, I am hard to stun. We have two principal means of acquiring knowledge. One is by experience of the world about us, rocks, streams, trees, dirt, birds, beasts, also wrenches, hammers, trowels, bricks, concrete, planks, engines, and so on. The second is by reading. Let that sink in. If the young person is not immersed in the natural world or in the practical world of work, and if he or she does not read real books, you've got a kind of ignorance never known before in the history of prehistory of mankind. History and prehistory of mankind, he stated. He said, democracy, eh. Build a bridge with noodles and see how long it stands. Unquote. Again, I, I, it's 100% accurate. That continues to prove the point. Look at what youth, by and large, certainly what society is encouraging them to do on a constant basis. 
and you've seen all these street interviews, I'm sure too, or somebody will walk up to a, you know, a minor or even not even a minor, someone in their 20s who's well past college age, so to speak, and they'll ask them a series of questions and they sound like they were born yesterday. I mean, they're flat out retarded. There's no way around it. They think that they're going to be YouTube stars. They think that, uh, you know, they're not going to have to break a sweat for a living ever. They're not going to get their hands dirty. They don't want to get their hands dirty. I know that there's a lot of great parents out there that are doing the opposite of all of that and teaching their children about the value of hard work and discipline and everything else. And that's great. The sooner it happens, I think the better. The younger, the younger it happens with individuals, the better. It's Again, it's much like reading. The younger that they read and the younger they get interested in reading and reading the truth, because the truth is always interesting, that right there is going to uh, catapult them into a level of consciousness that their peers might not ever reach. So, you know, that really leads me to to this particular point, which I wanted to mention too. And I think it falls perfectly in line with that. In fact, this was the response that I, I sent back Sicily. This past, uh, gosh, I want to say it was maybe, oh, I don't know. It could have been September if it wasn't during the summer. I think it may have actually been September, Labor Day, memory serves. And uh, my niece and nephew were in town, and I was washing my car, and they were playing with their uh, remote control Batmobiles that I got them for Christmas last year. Now, again, they're they're early middle school, late elementary school age. You can have a conversation with them, and you know they're they're not they're not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. They they have imagination still, which is great. And uh, but but they they also enjoy very serious conversations too. It, this right here, however, really creates the rub, and it again is it's the missing piece of the puzzle. It has to do with the ability to ask questions when you're presented with something that you know nothing about. And I know that this is also a personality trait. And this, unfortunately, is, is a trait that my brother has where he's basically incapable of asking questions. His wife is frankly no different. And I'm not making fun of them. I'm simply stating this as a fact, that they don't ask questions when presented with something that counters their belief system. So the two of them were playing with their cars around me while I was washing my car. And they said something like, you know, we're, we're basically here playing with our with our Christmas toys in September or in the summertime, so to speak. It's almost like it's Christmas in the summertime. And again, my my response again was was I smiled and I thought, well, that's funny. I mean, you know, you can you can play with it anytime you want, and you know, whatever. But I, I look past it. But then again, given everything that I'm learning and and everything that I speak about and a number of other things, I figured I'd drop a little a little nugget of information on them that I'm certain they know nothing about, that they've never been taught in school, their parents don't know anything about it, and they're completely unaware. But I did it because I wanted to see what their reaction would be. And I knew what I was doing. I wasn't necessarily expecting uh, them to know that this is true, but I told them, I said, you know, I said, as it turns out, based on the shifting of the calendar, I said, the calendar that, that we know now isn't the calendar that, that used to exist. That what we consider to be December now actually didn't used to be that way. I said, believe it or not, I said, Jesus' birthday 
has been stated as maybe not being in December, but actually being in September. Now that's that's a lot for <laughs> I mean that's that's a lot for a late elementary school early middle school student to handle I'm sure but at the same time what I was looking for was I was looking for whether or not they would ask me a question back that's all I was looking for is there is there is there going to be a question is there going to be curiosity is there going to be anything like that that would that would basically define a normal wavelength of thinking. And here's what I got in, re- in response. I'm not making this up. They immediately stopped talking. It became awkwardly silent. And then they just walked back inside the house, and that was it. That was it. They didn't ask a single question about anything. Again, I could have explained to them the Gregorian calendar that we now use and how it didn't used to be that way, and that it went into effect in October of 1582, and before that it was the Julian calendar calendar because Julius Caesar created it. And you know, I mean, I could have gone through a number of different things with them, but and I could have even asked them, hey, you know those iPads you stare at all the time? Why don't you pull it out and type in Gregorian calendar? and find out what pops up, and maybe read about it a little bit. But see, that, that's my point. It's that it's not being taught in school. Their family member brings it up to them, and then there's no, there's no questions being asked about it. Now, with that said, this was rather interesting, and this was an interesting exchange that happened back in September too. Again, it fits, I think, right in this wavelength. We're at my parents' house, and my brother's there, and their kids, and it's later at night, and we're all kind of sitting in the living room. We're just talking, and the topic, believe it or not, of circumcision comes up. And the and the reason that that came up was it had to do with particular. Basically, my brother was talking about particular decisions that parents make at birth, and that one of them that they made. Uh, early on with with their with their son was when he was born basically he has he he still has some of the skin that is attached between two of his toes again it's it's it doesn't look deformed in any way it looks completely normal for the most part but the doctors looked at him and said do you want us to basically take you know one of those little soldering rods and basically just run run some of the skin off to separate the toes a little bit more and and they said no you don't have to do that that's okay now they circumcised him, but they wouldn't do that to his toe. So you know, I, I don't, I don't understand that. Either way, w- with all of that aside, that's when his son brought up the question, "What is circumcision?" Or no, it wasn't. It wasn't him. It was my niece. My niece brought it up. My niece brought up the subject, and and my brother, again, bless his heart, because he doesn't know. He doesn't know the the history behind it, but. Um, he, he brought up the standard medical line that parents are told by doctors, which is that the reason that circumcision exists is for medical purposes and it has to do with cleanliness, that it decreases the likelihood of urinary tract infections and so on and so forth. And again, me being me and the way that I am, I, I corrected him politely and I opened it with a question. And I simply said something like, 
believe it or not, there's there's another explanation, which is actually the real history of it, which goes far back beyond, you know, way before the medical industry. And again, he got that look on his face that that someone would when they've been challenged with something that they that they've just said that isn't really true. Part of it is true, of course, but most of it's not. And uh, and then I, you know, because I, I have to remind him that I was a health education major from time to time, and I have to remind him that I know things. And so, <laughs> so I basically looked at him and I said, and I looked at his at his daughter and I said. I can explain it to you if you're interested. And then I looked at his son and I, and I said the same thing. And then I looked back at him, my brother, and I said, I, I can explain the history to you if, if, if you're really interested and if you'll let me. And I, and I, you know, I just leaned into it kind of softly like that. And, and then they looked at me and they went, yeah, all right, sure. And then I went into it. And I went into the full history of, of the entire thing. And it is, it's, uh, it's rather brief. It's it's far more nefarious than what people know. It actually had more to do with slavery, and it had more to do with not not you know the slavery that we that we think of in the uh, in the eighteen hundreds. It goes way back further than that, and then it had of of course to do with defiling God and purposeful mutilation, and that that was really that was the point. It was a it was a branding essentially. And yes, it came about as a result of the Kazarian Mafia and Satanists. That was really the whole point. And I, and I briefly hit on that. And I said, you know, not everybody's circumcised, and, and plenty of people are, but it's, um, it's become normalized in the medical practice because people are told that it's for cleanliness purposes when in fact there's a far more sinister history to it, as it turns out. And then it got real quiet in the room, and, <laughs> and that was kind of it. But again, it, it opened their eyes, and, th- and they got to hear the truth for once, rather than the mainstream you know, medical uh, explanation that everybody is fed over the course of generations that everybody just believes. So that right there should prove to people, again, that when you, when you enter a, a singular dimension of thought, Many people are incapable of understanding that there's more dimensions to it, that it's not just what is met at face value that is the answer. It always goes deeper, but that requires asking questions. It requires thinking. And I thought that it was fantastic that my niece asked the question. It's a good question. That's not a question that a lot of people ask. The simple fact that she's asking means that she's going to be wiser and smarter than the person who doesn't ask. And everybody learned something, uh, you know, certainly his family did in that, in that particular moment about what that is. And there you go. So I don't think that we should run away from the opportunity to, to uh, encourage people to think clearly, but I've always found it interesting as to whether or not people ask questions when they are posed with the counter to their belief system. Are they or are they not going to ask a question? that might deepen their thinking and deepen their understanding. If the answer is no, then God help them. If the answer is yes, then fantastic. Fill that void then. Fill it with the truth. And if you don't know what it is, work your ass off to find it and look it up. So there you go. That's my two cents on that. And believe it or not, that actually leads me to this, which is actually a rather great thing that's happening in the field of education. And oddly enough, 
I can't, I can't believe this is happening. But oddly enough, the nonsense and the false flags and all the murder that's going on in the Middle East, in in Gaza and everywhere else for the for the most part, certainly in that neck of the woods, um, it's really caused these diversity, equity, and inclusion groups in schools and across universities to not know what to do. And as I said earlier, of course, with all the inconsistency about cracking down on the free speech of some and not everybody, and how, of course, unconstitutional that is, and the lawsuits should frankly be through the roof by now on that issue. But what's happening is that diversity, equity, and inclusion is now, in my professional opinion, being destroyed a little at a time. I have a number of articles here on on this subject alone. So let me just dive in here uh, rather quickly. This is first from the Washington Examiner, and this is back on November 6th. It says, new study undermines DEI orthodoxy. Now, we know that diversity, equity, and inclusion, what that really means. It, re- it, it means justifying the non-hiring of whites. That's what it means. It means continue to diminish white people as much as we can, but we're not discriminating against you. We're just saying that we need more diverse people here. That doesn't mean diverse thought, because this is the double speak and double think that they engage in on a constant basis. It actually just means, again, discriminating against white people, making sure that if they hold an ideology or a belief system that is different than ours, that we don't want them around. And then, of course, excluding them from basically everything. And if they say something or do something, then we need to engage in Bolshevik tactics to have them eliminated or have them embarrassed or whatever else. But here's what it says. It says, a new study undercuts the idea that positioning a company as racially diverse will encourage other racial minorities to apply for jobs within it. The study also undermines claims of a problem involving racist white men who do not want to work with racial minorities. Again, a lot. it's fantastic because a lot of these have always, of course, been lies associated with diversity, equity, and inclusion that White people don't want to work with other races. Well, that's not entirely true. As it turns out, those who aspire to be diverse, uh, you know, diverse, equitable, and inclusive, these are, the, these are the racists, so to speak. Again, if that term is to be believed, and I don't believe that that term actually exists, but the, the fact is, is that because Trotsky created it, but that right there again just proves that th- this entire falsehood is sinking to the ground. It's a balloon that has numerous holes in it. And why it even took off in the first place is beyond me. But again, if you have an entire system that is Zionistic and, and Bolshevistic, then yeah, it's in I mean it, it's gonna it's gonna float for a little while. But as we know, everything that goes up must come down. And Bolshevism is one of those things. Eventually the milk goes bad and uh, the expiration date comes around and I think we're here with the diversity, equity, and inclusion nonsense. It's, it continues here. It says, participants in the study published in Nature Human Behavior were shown mocked-up posters of a fictional company with varying degrees of racial and gender diversity. The authors theorized, based on other research, that, quote, organizations could communicate to applicants from minority groups that they would be entering an inclusive environment through front-facing materials 
such as a company website, such, such as rather company websites that highlight existing organizational diversity, unquote. It did not work out that way, it says. Quote, there was little evidence that racial, ethnic, or gender diversity impacted the demographic composition or quality of the applicant pool, the authors reported. Furthermore, more applications were submitted to organizations with only white men employees or employees diverse in race, ethnicity, and gender. Strange. Isn't it? Isn't it strange? More people wanted to work in environments that had more white people in them. Weird. You see, it always boils down to this. It boils down to, are you law-abiding, polite, competent? Like I said earlier, willing to ask questions, willing to learn, and willing again to build whatever it is the, the, the company and the organization is interested in building. If that's for you, then welcome aboard. But it was just like in the last episode where you heard the, the, the female social worker at the end who was of Hispanic origin, and she openly said, well, you know, I didn't do very well, but then again, they don't make tests for people who look like me. Well, yes, they, they don't. because they don't make jobs or tests for people who look a particular way. It's what's between your ears. And again, if you're going to say they don't make tests for people that look like you, I'm sorry, you have a sub-80 to 85 IQ. You're past even creating a hypothetical because now you've created an excuse that's asinine. And this study, again, blows, blows DEI apart. It blows it away. It continues, it says, the study also undercut claims of male privilege in the workplace. As another, as another portion of the study found female applicants were considered, quote, more qualified than applicants of other sex. Quote, presenting a more diverse workforce does not guarantee more minority applicants. And organizations and organizations seeking to recruit minority applicants may need stronger displays of commitments to diversity, unquote, the authors wrote. A, quote, more diverse workforce actually attracted white men who were more likely to apply to organizations with more than less diversity. The study's authors said, they noted that recent research has undermined the claims that white men would not want to work at a racially diverse place even as a, quote, majority of the prior literature would anticipate that white men would react negatively to suggestions of a commitment to diversity, unquote. Again, their ideology is blowing, is blowing up right in their face. It's Tom and Jerry. It's a Tom and Jerry cartoon all over again, where Tom sticks the shotgun through the, through the mouse hole and then uh, the gun, the barrel of the gun somehow bends around and ends up being pointed right at Tom's ass. And then he pulls the trigger, thinking he's shooting at, at, uh, at Jerry, but he's not. He's just blown his own ass off. This right here again proves it. That they operate on a belief system and beliefs aren't facts. Sorry. Go back to your own diversity pool and see how it works. Try to build your own business as a as a, uh, a diversity pool believing in, in DEI and watch what happens. Why do you think colleges and universities are crumbling? 
Why do you think they're pumping out morons? This right here proves it. Because they believe things that aren't real. Instead of accepting everybody, they're only accepting some. Instead of listening to everybody and get, letting everybody have free speech, they're, they're, only, they're discriminating against some and not others. They're picking and choosing who, who they think that they want to be around and who they want to listen to and who they want to defend based on their own belief system. The people who, who again, uh, I got to take a breath here. The, the people who basically hone in on diversity, equity, and inclusion being a real thing and even say those words with the normalization as if it's real, those people are arguably the largest bigots that exist on the face of the planet. They always have been. Black Lives Matter. You know, anybody else who says all of, the, all of that NPC mainstream tagline, those are the individuals who are low IQ, hive mind mentality, going along to get along. As the girl said earlier in the audio, that's a great deal of people. And look what's happening to these businesses. Look what's, look what's happening to these institutions. They've been working hard at it for a long time. And now look at them. Enrollment's rock bottom, and they can't for the life of them figure out why. It continues, it says, but the authors remain open to the idea, despite their own findings, that racism can be behind the application choices. Some racial minorities, they post, could be resigned to a lack of jobs for non-white males in the tech industry. Quote, one potential explanation, they said, is that the no diversity condition could have been viewed as merely reflecting the status quo of privileging white men in the tech industry, the study read. The authors also said that, quote, all, the all-white, all-male, and fully diverse organizations may have been viewed as more authentic or realistic, while the organizations presenting only one form of authenticity may have deviated from participants' expectations and resulted in lower appeal. However, they wrote that this possibility needs further study. I think that it does, and I would also say, again, what if it was an all-female working environment? We know that there are numerous lines of work, in particular in the business sector, that are dominated by women. I'll mention a story later about my dental hygienist. I was just at the dentist the other day, for the first time in a year, I stopped going twice a year, but I, I went back just to have the tartar scraped off my teeth, which by the way, in my humble opinion, that's the only, that's the only reason to go to a dentist. You don't have to have them do anything else, but I'll get into that story a little bit later. But my point is, is that for this study, everybody knows that dental hygienists by and large are, are women. And if there is a man there, they're usually the head dentist. And again, if there's a male dental hygienist, chances are that individual's gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that that's kind of the way that it is. You heard, uh, you heard Terry, again, a retired nurse, a guest on the show. She openly said basically a similar, a similar thing about the nursing profession. Same kind of thing. She said, Sean, some of the best nurses that, uh, that have existed that I've worked around were, were gay men that they were more compassionate about the patient, that they wanted to get to know them better, and that that was her experience. Again, how many straight men are nurses? 
in that in that line of work. They're in the minority, is what I'm saying. So again, in the study, they they never want to take into consideration the fact that there are lines of work that that women engage in more often than men, and there are lines of work that men engage in more often than women. That's it's always been that way. I mean, it's always been that way. Certainly throughout uh, the 20th century when women really hit the workforce. A lot of reasons for that, of course. I'm not going to get into all that. And of course, the destruction of the nuclear family and marriage and child rearing and the, the entire nefarious scheme behind all of that. But, you know, the, the people, again, who, who operate so single-mindedly that, that it, it's their way or the highway, that if I just say it and I scream it and I and I say it f- more frequently, then everybody's just going to believe it and go along with it, and it'll make sense whether you understand it or not. It's complete horseshit. And again, this study just blew up in their face. So there you go. It says the DEI movement is facing an uphill battle as legislators correctly seek to restrict its use in public education and companies ditch its use. Yeah, because it's because it's built on lies. It means nothing. It's pretend. It says, meanwhile, one leader of the anti-racism movement, Ibram X. Kendi, is facing fire from his fellow leftist scholars over his lack of research and the management of the center. He should read this study from his fellow Boston University academic, Aaron Nichols. This study is the latest evidence against the benefits of corporate wokeness and DEI in general. Companies and universities should consider it as they reorient, if not cut, wokeness trainings and other programming. Unquote. Yeah, because it's pretend. It hurts your bottom line. If you have people working for an organization and they don't know how to speak the English language and they say things that aren't real, you're going to sound like a full-blown idiot. I've brought up this story before. It deserves a quick revisit before I hit a few other DEI articles. The last on-college campus interview that I that I that I engaged in, before I said I gotta I gotta stop applying to these colleges and universities. It's a waste of time. The the last one I engaged in, face to face, was at a community college in Indiana. It's the largest community college in Indiana, as it turns out. I thought, okay, this is my last shot. I'm sitting at the table, and there are. Three black individuals at the table and and three white individuals at the table, and then me. They all worked there, of course. I did not. On either side of me were Africans. They were from Africa, born there, and then they came here, learned here, and now they taught in their teacher education department at this at this community college. The third black individual, they, they were all friendly. I, I, I got along with all of them for the most part. But there was one that that I knew did, you know wasn't exactly screwed in correctly. One of them w- was again spoke fluent English, was born here, grew up here, w- was English. Again, a, a black female, and she had to she had to throw this line in, but she said something like, and she said this after she told me about her story. Because everybody kind of went around the horn and said, "Well, where did you come from? What did you do? How did you how did you get here?" Kind of thing. And she ended up saying that she grew up in the Indianapolis, Indiana area. Uh, tough, tough upbringing. Has has some ch- children out of wedlock apparently, 
not married even even now and uh and then found their way into the workforce and then finally found their way to this community college and then after graduating got hired by that community college and now they are a academic advisor at that community college getting paid by the same college where she attended as a student where she was born in the state and city where she was born after after saying all of that she had the audacity to use the phrase privilege in relation to other students who attend the university and she said it like this or the the community college rather and she said um well we we have some problems occasionally with with privilege and people believing that you know they they come here as students and they think that they are privileged and so we 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 try to you know we, we try to basically just humble everybody and and whatever else and i thought to myself did you not just hear what you just said you just said that that privilege as as you put it and she stopped just shy of saying white privilege but she did use the the, the term privilege and i thought to myself nothing defines privilege more i think than growing up in a town growing up in not that it's necessarily a bad thing but to categorize it as a bad thing in other people and not yourself is is hypocritical and this again proves the point that this dei is just pure and utter bullshit but but she again said that it was privilege for others but not her when she again grew up there graduated from there took out student loans to go there and then was hired by the same place upon graduation immediately upon graduation i mean th- that's that's the definition of it it could have also been that she just worked hard could have just been that it doesn't have to be a secondary or tertiary explanation as to why um, you know, someone ends up where they end up or ends up doing what they're doing. It could just be hard work, dedication, perseverance, you know, things of this nature. But these are not words that are used. You're not going to hear the DEI crowd say perseverance, dedication, hard work. No, no, no. It's, I should have this because, or I'm experiencing this because of what others did to me. It's the victim status all over again, but it's crumbling to the ground. I love it. These people are getting laughed at. And, I might add, and this is the best part, research studies are proving that these people are full of shit. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that. Now when they start saying these things, you can say, oh, have you read this research study about how the words coming out of your mouth are complete trash? Not a clue. But situationally speaking, this, this right here too, this next story proves that this is really getting complicated. In particular, if you're a school teacher in an American school and you have these geopolitical events and these false flags and this division taking place and you take one side as opposed to another, even if your background happens to be of Middle Eastern descent, then, uh, then apparently you're not allowed to talk. So this was ironically enough from Fox News. My apologies for the reference here, but it's titled Maryland Middle School DEI Teacher Under Investigation for Israel-Hamas comments, where they said, quote, Hamas did not start this. It's not the only thing that they said, but that's generally it. 
This is a Sabrina Khan Williams of world, a world studies teacher in a diversity and a diversity equity and inclusion team leader at Tilden Middle School. The irony. Cicely sent this article my way, and uh, and here's what it says. It says a diversity, equity, and inclusion teacher at a Mer- Maryland middle school is being investigated over a social media post suggesting the Hamas terrorist attack on Israel was a hoax and other posts about the war in the Middle East. Hmm, interesting. This right here is where m- most people would want to start asking questions. Unfortunately, that's not happening. Sabrina Khan Williams, a world studies teacher and a diversity, equity, and inclusion team leader at Tilden Middle School, made a series of posts doubting reports about Hamas, Hamas's October 7 attack against Israel. And of course, this was according to Facebook screenshots obtained by the Daily Wire. So now we have the Daily Wire and Fox News teaming up to basically try to smear this individual because they spoke out in a class as a world studies teacher, and as a diversity, equity, and inclusion team leader. And oops, they've just found that diversity, equity, and inclusion apparently only goes one way. They said, quote, apparently this is one of their social media uh, posts, quote, debunked, no music festival attack, babies were not burned, women were not violated, unquote, she wrote in one post. Well, that's pretty much true. More than 11,000 people have been killed in Gaza, it says, in Israel since Hamas launched its largest attack in decades. It continues, um, skipping past the Fox News propaganda here, it says, quote, Hamas did not start this, they said. And then the teacher said they were just the perfect vehicle for Zionists to continue its apartheid, she wrote. <laughs> She's right. She's right. Oops. It goes against the mainstream narrative and, you know, it'll go against what parental's, you know, parents' belief system, rather, Um, you know, because if their TV doesn't tell them, well, then it can't possibly be true. According to the Daily Wire, the teacher shared videos from conspiracy theorists and opinion columns from Arab media, including one video that depicted Jews as killing Palestinians to cut their organs out and sell them. Well, as it turns out, that happens, and they do that. They said, quote, Palestinians are being killed and their organs are being sold, Con Williams said. Con Williams teaches in Bethesda, Maryland, which has a significant Jewish population. I don't think anybody cares. Uh, Titan Middle School principal, Sapna Hopkins said in a letter to families on Monday that the posts, quote, undermined the value of the school, including respect and belonging, according to Fox 5 DC. Hopkins said she contacted the Office of Student Welfare and Compliance and the Office of Student Support and Well-Being to help with the school's response to the posts. She explained that the incident was reported to the appropriate school district department responsible for initiating an investigation. Holy hell. Do you see what's happening here? It's one side or it's no side. You're either a Zionist or you're against them. It's astounding. They will, they will crush you. They, they will do whatever they have to do to crush you. This is awful. 
It says, quote, on this person, I'll tell you what, the principal of this school is a buffoon. Quote, I understand the deep distress and hurt this incident has caused our community. We strive to be a no place for hate school. That's all capitalized. So it's clearly a slogan or a company or an NGO, no place for hate. It is evident from recent events that we are not there yet. I acknowledge that we have work to do to live up to our values of respect and inclusion, Hopkins wrote. I am confident that we can emerge from this incident stronger and more united in our commitment to non-discrimination, equity, and cultural proficiency, she added. Holy hell. She can't even hear the words coming out of her mouth. She can't even, she can't even hear the hypocrisy in what she's saying. Again, you either agree with one side or you're the enemy. That's how they've painted this entire thing. Not to mention, reading that letter and reading that description that went home to parents, apparently, it would make it sound like the teacher raped somebody. It sounds rather serious. Like, again, they engaged in a sexual assault or they gave everybody crack cocaine or, uh, you know, had a meth smoking contest to see who would pass out first. That's not what happened. They voiced their opinion, and factual opinion as it turns out, so it's not an opinion anymore when it's fact. And it just so happens to go against what the brainwashed masses happen to believe. And just like that, now it's a crisis that they have to work on and make sure that we're all on the same page. It's Bolshevism, ladies and gentlemen. That Middle Eastern teacher just had the Bolshevik hook come right into her back and yank her around and parade her in front of everybody. How embarrassing. That has to be a massive lawsuit. She has to sue the ever-living hell out of them as a school district and as an individual principal for writing that letter. That's absurd. It's a complete violation of their First Amendment rights. It's a violation of their privacy to some extent. I'm not a lawyer, but again, seems like they're, they're doing the old doxing thing yet again, aren't they? We will meet with this person and we will reprogram them to where they will believe what we believe and we will do whatever we have to do to make that happen. Ugh, it's awful. It's just awful. Here's another one about DEI also. Again, the hypocrisy of the whole thing continues to just blow itself apart. This is from the Washington Examiner also. It is titled, Witness Tells Congress DEI Departments Aren't Equipped to Combat anti-Semitism. Now, a couple of things here, and this is where it's going to get real weird. This is where the rewriting of history and an unknowledgeable history really backs up on people. Because Burgess Owens, one of the representatives in Congress, a black man, he really steps in it here. He sounds like a complete idiot. Uh, and again, he is, bless his heart. You know, he wore the Ukraine pin and he's basically a complete tool. He's got to be blackmailed to the bone. Um, this right here continues to prove what Joseph Goebbels said about how all these individuals want is to make criticizing them illegal, and then they will want it to be punishable with jail time, which already exists on earth. And then ultimately their end goal is that if you criticize them, you will be jailed and then you will be executed. 
This is, this is what is happening here in America right now. This is what we are seeing. That if you criticize anybody who is of Jewish descent or anybody who happens to be that way, regardless of the level of illegality or a lack of comprehension that they may or may not have, that if you even bring it up, that you should be ostracized, destroyed, doxxed, fined, unemployed, jailed, and then ultimately killed because, well, we can't have anti-Semitism around. Again, anti-Semitism is a made-up word. It's fiction. It doesn't exist. But here's where it gets hairy. I can't, I, I can't believe this level of stupidity, actually. It says, Stacy Burdett, an independent consultant in anti-Semitism prevention and response, was one of four witnesses who testified at a Tuesday hearing of the House Subcommittee on Higher Education and Workforce Development about the rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses. Keep in mind, we can't get a real congressional hearing about a biological weapon that's killing everybody on Earth, but we can get one on quote-unquote anti-Semitism on college campuses. Okay. In response to a question from Representative Alma Adams, Democrat from North Carolina, Burdett said she doesn't, quote, know a single Jewish person who isn't very scared right now, unquote, and noted that Jewish organizations and people are reliant on the existing federal civil rights infrastructure pr to protect their rights. Well, what she needs to understand is, is that everyone's rights are protected, not just yours. She, of course, has a hard time grasping that. Continues here, it says, but she acknowledged that DEI departments have struggled with responding to the needs of Jewish students. Quote, diversity, equity, and inclusion work maybe wasn't set up to anticipate a group of mostly white people scared of hate crimes. Burdett said, but it can be enhanced, and the people that I work with have adopted, or I'm sorry, adapted rather, and are protecting Jews now. Republican lawmakers and the three other witnesses repeatedly identified DEI departments as generally anti-Israel and staffed by people who have not helped Jewish students amid a rise of anti-Semitic anti-Semitic activity on college campuses. Holy God. Have their cards been pulled here or what? I mean, their cards have all been pulled. They all got the memo, didn't they? They all got it on the same day. It says, in, this opening, in, this, in his opening statement, rather, subcommittee chairman Burgess Owens, Republican from Utah, said, university, get a load of this, can't make this up. He said this, University DEI departments are, quote, steeped deeply in the doctrine of Marxism and are, quote, are anything but inclusive for Jews, unquote. Now, how does that make sense? They're Marxist, but they don't stand up for Jews. Hmm. Who is it that created Marxism? Hmm, let's think. Who is it that perpetuated Marxism and Bolshevism? 
Hmm. Who is it? Do you see how they either don't know the history, don't acknowledge the factual history, or are just attempting to gaslight people to make even Jews the victim of their own ideology? It's, it's astounding. It makes zero sense. Apparently, Burgess Owens continued and said, quote, DEI programs are ideologically anti-Semitic because they ascribe collective guilt to an entire state of Israel for its mere existence, Owens said. He's a buffoon. He's a complete idiot. That is not what any of that means. DEI programs are Marxist. Marxism is Jewish. That's what it is. It's Talmudic Judaism. He then said, quote, the core principle of the Marxist ideologue is not diversity, equity, or inclusion. It is instead discrimination, intolerance, and bigotry towards individuals thought to belong to the wrong group. Yes, except that's exactly what the Marxists who are from multiple different blood origin backgrounds and religions, that's what they all believe. And as it turns out, Mr. Owens, that typically occurs against white people. He's just proven he has no idea what he's talking about. Who voted for him? How, how did this person make it make their way to Congress? I mean, we know we know why. They were selected and so on and so forth. But good Lord, do they have everything backwards there or what? And I mean, everything that they said is backwards and upside down and inside out. Here's another one. They just keep coming. And this, again, continues to just show how all of this infighting is, is, is destroying these institutions, and I love it. This also from the Washington Examiner. They keep pumping these out, and they don't know why. UCLA petition calls for university to condemn anti-Semitic protests on campus. What, what are you talking about? How, how about other petitions? No one seems to give a damn about any other petition that's ever gone around a campus because of you know what, what people are hearing and they don't like what they're hearing. It's America. If you don't like what you hear, get the, get the F out. Get out of here. Who cares? You could have a debate. You could have a conversation. You could go buy yourself a pitcher of beer, sit at a picnic table, and actually talk. But you don't do that. You scream, you shout, you hold your flags, you wave your signs, and you think you're accomplishing something. What did Mark Twain say about two, 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 uh, two groups of individuals yelling at each other? That basically the onlooker uh, doesn't know who's dumber, something to that extent? That to the stranger they both look foolish? It's, it's amazing. It's just amazing. These people have no idea that, again, with every stupid petition they engage in and every single time that they start screaming and shouting, they're doing themselves in. They're destroying their own credibility as a human being and then, of course, the institution that they associate with. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Here's the last education story I have. This is tossed me by a few people, uh, family members of mine included. This was a bit interesting, but at the exact same time, 
it, it really does, uh, it makes you wonder whether or not you want to take up a, a fight like this. They ended up winning, which was great, and they got their legal bills paid back. But uh, again, is it is it even worth it? It does bring about, though, some tips when it comes to speaking in these public forums and, and what to do and what not to do so that you don't get kicked out, essentially. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this. This is Wawosta, no way I got that right, school board, pays my bills and offers public apology for violating the Constitution. This was from pjmedia.com. It says, last year, I covered a board meeting at the Wawosta, I'm saying that right, a school board in Wisconsin. The board was implementing pornographic content in its elementary school program and was so graphic that local news wouldn't show it on television. Parents, activists, and protesters streamed to the meeting to let their voices be heard against the sexualization of children. This is from Megan Fox. So Megan Fox is the the individual who showed up and apparently read sections from one of these pornographic books. They said among them was Jamie Mitchell, the head of Gays Against Groomers. When it came time for public comment, the board began to intimidate the crowd, including Mitchell, demanding that she dox herself on camera and give her address before she could speak. Now, very quickly, when it comes to that, you don't have to give them your address. You can simply say, I live here. You've heard me say that. I said that when I spoke at the school board meeting. Same thing. You can say you live here, or you can say the town that you live in. I said Oxford. And and that's it. I mean, that's all you have to say. You don't have to say, I live at 555, uh, you know, whatever road. I mean, you, you don't have to do that. Um, anybody can look it up on the internet and see where you live. But this continues here, and it says, The board also shut down any speech that was critical toward members chastising members of the crowd for using their first names, even though they are elected officials. Though I was there to cover the event for my YouTube channel and only planned to stream it without comment, I couldn't help myself after watching all the violations of rights in which the board was gleefully engaging. It's rather common that they would do this, and they certainly did it. Uh, it says, The following comments will go down. In the school board's history is one of the worst moments that the board ever suffered. It says, you might remember helping me raise $10,000 to pay Robert Barnes of Barnes Law to sue them for cutting me off unlawfully and before my time expired. That lawsuit is finally settled, and the school board bad actors, or school district bad actors, uh, had to pay every dime of legal fees, cut me a check for what Alex Stein calls Olive Garden money and issue a public apology. It says, regarding the events on October 24, 2022, the school board offers you an apology for the manner in which it handled your presentation during the public comment agenda item at the school board meeting, the letter read. One can imagine the school board president dictating this letter through gritted teeth. Legally mandated apologies are always funny. And they continued on and on and on. And they, again, apparently Robert Barnes was, was her lawyer and openly said this typically doesn't happen. They don't issue apology letters and whatever else. Sometimes they do, in particular, if they know that they're going to be sued even more. They, they're forced to issue an apology letter. But I'm going to end the article there. Here's essentially what it states. She didn't really win a whole lot of money or any money other than 
getting her legal fees paid, which again were 10 grand. So she put up the 10 grand first to pay Robert Barnes. She got that back from the school district. But it, it is a lesson in how school boards have rules on what you what you can and cannot do and what you can and cannot say by and large. Now they could remove these rules anytime they wanted to, but they think it's more civil if we have these rules in place. Um, and, and that's not always the case. In fact, it avoids objectivity in telling the truth in many cases. Either way, what they can't do as a school board is cut you off because you say something that they disagree with. Or if you point out a flaw that they've engaged in or any illegality that they've engaged in, they can't cut you off. They can cut you off if you start cursing. They can cut you off if you're attacking uh, members of the crowd. You typically, again, have to speak directly to the boards themselves and not other people in the room. You can reference other people and how it's connected to the board in, in some cases. But, um, you know, they can legally cut you off if you're violating, you know, particular rules that they already have in place. My whole thing is they shouldn't have them in place to begin with. There should be a time limit. I prefer at least five minutes. Give everybody at least five, upwards of seven or even ten. Most people will pass out by the time they reach six minutes because they're, they're done saying what they need to say. But there should always be a verbal back and forth, not to mention this is America. If you speak into a microphone at any one of these public meetings, if a person ever does that, you should have the right to say whatever you want to whomever you want, regardless of who's in the room or not. That, that's really the larger problem that I have. They're, they're continuing to squash free speech, no matter what, and they have no problem doing that, and they make it their policy. Well, you need to talk to us and us alone, and you have three minutes and not a second more, and that's the way that it is. And oh, by the way, if you have a question for us, well, we're not going to answer it back because that's not how things go here. All of that can be removed in the blink of an eye. They can vote all of those policies away instantly, but they don't because they like control, because they're control freaks, because they're sociopaths. These are the kinds of people that sit on these positions. So there you go. Again, good for her and getting her apology and her, and her uh, legal bills paid. But, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have far more of an impact, I think, uh, pulling your children out and bankrupting the system in the blink of an eye rather than screaming into a microphone about how bad their pornographic books are. We know that pornography is bad. We get it. We fully understand. We know it's in the libraries. We get it. It's a gay playground for sodomites and everybody else. We, we, we understand. If you want to make the books disappear, then you have to make the people disappear. To make the people disappear, you stop going. You stop participating. Then they go bankrupt. Then they have to sell the books or donate the books. And then those books go back into the ether, or they get thrown away, or they get donated, or somebody buys them up and says, I love gay books. And then that person was lying, and that person burns all those gay books, and then the gay books go away. There are lots of ways to skin this cat, is my point, but walking away is the easiest way. Okay. Jab-related things. Here we go. couple of quick stories. First of all, Sandy in Michigan put this up on a text thread the other day that we engage in with a small group of individuals, and uh, they said this. They said this is from their local 
pediatrician's office. It's on their website. Premier Pediatrics is what it's called. And it has a stamp on the front of their website that says, quote, Note, we only see patients who are fully vaccinated or plan to be fully vaccinated or immunized, rather, per CDC vaccine schedule. Now, can they do that? Is that really allowed? Which I posed the question again because they were saying, well, how do we get back at them? You know, can they legally do this and, and what can we do to, to, to get back at these people for, for doing this? There has to be a way for your average citizen, and I'm sure that there is. I just haven't gone down this rabbit hole yet and looked this up. But that's to file a formal complaint against the doctor's medical license, either through the AMA or another outlet that holds their license. And then again, openly state that uh, they believe that this policy that they have in place, that they won't see anybody unless they're fully jabbed to the bone with everything, which includes COVID jabs and that biological weapon. And they're all bioweapons, by the way, now. Always have been, frankly, but you get what I'm saying. That there has to be a way to get back at these people, and, and maybe that's that's the way to do it. That if a dozen people file complaints against a singular doctor, that the AMA is going to, I don't know, uh, put sanctions on that doctor. Although, I wouldn't hold my breath on that either, because the AMA is in on it. The AMA is the one probably telling them to put that stamp on their website. So again, how do you... How do you get back at these people? Well, you just stop going and you tell as many people as you can about it. And then you tell as many people as you can about the poison shots. And then hopefully that doctor doesn't have a practice anymore because nobody's showing up with their kids anymore. Hopefully that's the case. And then, of course, find another pediatrician that doesn't force shots and understands that the shots are killing people and have always killed people and have always been poisons and so on and so forth. So, yeah. To actually make that request, though, my God, you're not allowed to come here unless you're fully jabbed to the bone or plan to be, based on everything that the CDC says. Interesting. There was this also this week, former NFL wide receiver Devin Wiley, dead at 35 years old. Uh, formerly played for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans, died at 35 years old. His family announced Monday a cause of death was not given. Interesting. You know, it's rather uncommon, is it not, for individuals in their mid-30s who are highly athletic to just drop over dead? So what exactly is going on here? Hmm, what could it possibly be? Now, I just bounced over to Dr. William Mackis's substack here. And he's got an article that's titled MRNA Injury Series, again, Arrhythmia Multiform is what it's referred to as, after the Pfizer-Moderna COVID-19 MRNA vaccines, 14 papers reviewed with photographs of 20 confirmed cases, MRNA injury to the immune system. It's, uh, let me see, this, the subtitle here is Australian Government Added Arrhythmia Multiform as its COVID-19 vaccine claims scheme on April 3rd of this year. What uh, arrhythmia multiform is, is a widespread skin disorder brought about by med medication infection and or another infection. 
And so he's pulled a number of different pictures here. And if you've ever seen what psoriasis looks like, it looks like that, and it looks far worse. So he's got a number of different peer-reviewed articles here, again, stretching back to September of 2021. And they are vast. Again, this is undeniable here. And, and, and again, in the titles and in the papers, they're specifically pointing out the COVID jabs as being the culprit. That that's what caused this. They didn't have these widespread skin rashes that burn and itch and bleed and the whole thing. And then they took the shots, and then all of a sudden, presto changeo, that's what they have now. So that's not going away. And it certainly isn't going to go away. Okay, I'll end with this story. I was at the dentist office the other day. And uh, again, I, I learned a long time ago as I went down the oral health rabbit hole, I've basically learned that outside of a tooth extraction, or even that, frankly, but uh, a cavity, for example, is basically the only reason that you would need to go to a dentist. That you can basically look up online on how to take care of your oral health as best as possible in any other avenue. And you can acquire the tools yourself and, and practically do it yourself. With that said, I stopped going twice a year a long time ago, and I just go once a year. Now, my oral health is fine, and it, it has been, fortunately, for a very long time. I have a long history with this, actually, dating back to, of course, when I had braces as a high school student. So I have a, a metal bar in the bottom of my teeth, at the bottom of my teeth, on the inside of my mouth, that a lot of people had and probably still have back in the day from when they had braces. And it's just there to keep the bottom teeth in line and in order. Long time ago, the, the dentist told me, you know, you can get that taken out if you want, and it'll be easier to clean your teeth, and because that's where all the plaque buildup is, it's on that metal, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, won't my teeth shift around and, and start to get crooked on the bottom of my, of my mouth? And he goes, well, it could. It, it could be the case. But uh, either way, you know, you may want to take it out, but it's completely up to you. And I was like, well, I have straight teeth, so let's leave them that way. So I did. And uh, anyway, during the whole COVID hoax, as I've brought up on the show before, it, as soon as you would walk in, uh, they would even say, you know, you have to wear a mask and, and whatever else. And I never did. And then uh, they would they would force you still to take your temperature. They would rub the thermometer across your forehead. And then, you know, I would jokingly say, and very sarcastically, am I still alive? And they'd say, yeah, you're, you're, you're fine. And I go, yeah, I know. I feel fine. I'm just screwing with you. But either way, uh, long story short, there was a particular gal in there who unfortunately bought the entire hoax, as I'm sure they all did, because it would almost indicate that they would have to buy the hoax because that's why they work there. And many of these dental places, again, bought the hoax all over the United States, I'm certain of it. And they have no idea, of course, about the harm of the dental anesthetic and how it's been proven that the nanotechnology is also in dental anesthesia from a shot point of view anyway. So one of these particular gals who was my dental hygienist, again, used to be very, very calm and friendly and, and still kind of is, uh, but was all smiles and would only wear a mask before the COVID nonsense, of course, when they were cleaning your teeth. And then as soon as they were done, they would take the mask off and throw it in the trash. And that was it. Nobody thought anything 
odd was, you know, that anything was odd with, with dental hygienists wearing a mask while they're cleaning your teeth. That made perfect sense, and it's been going on for a very long time. I think what makes more sense is just a, a, a face shield, frankly. That way you can still see their eyes and their face, and they're not spitting on you, and you're not spitting on them. It's kind of a, a mutual agreement. Anyway, as a result of the COVID hysteria and this entire psychological operation and war that we are experiencing, she unfortunately went off the deep end. And to this day, she is the only one in the office who now wears two masks and a face shield. It's really sad. And gloves. So... I saw this woman again the other day. Again, they're friendly. They're good at what they do. But you could tell that they just got scared with this entire operation. And then they, of course, went off the deep end, as I said. They are a two-masker, even when they're not cleaning someone's teeth, even when they're not doing their job. They're just standing around all day long wearing two masks. Now, I haven't seen this person in a year, but this person worked on me this last time, and they look way worse than they looked the previous year. Like I said, still two masks. They are pale. They look thinner. They look older. And this woman is way younger than me. I mean, she's in her 20s, and she looks older than I do, and I'm 42. So there's no doubt she's jabbed. I don't think there's any denying that. The two masks pretty much gives it away. And the fact that not a single person, including the main dentist, is wearing masks unless they are actually working on a patient should tell you that something is up, that something is going on. That again, unfortunately, her mind has been snapped as a result of this. And I'll just conclude by saying this. I, I think that it's just very, very sad to see such a thing because you want to pull them aside and you want to say it doesn't exist. This whole thing was a lie. The shots are poison. That's what COVID was back in 2019. It was flu shot poison. It was just worse than other flu shots this time around on purpose. It was a different, worse batch. You, you, you bought the lie. I'm sorry you did. You can take the masks off. You probably injected yourself with the COVID shots. You shouldn't have done that. Nothing is airborne. You don't need to be afraid. The problem is there would be no shaking them out of it now. If you're still wearing two masks to this day in your free time, uh, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. It means that you're going to buy the next PSYOP when that comes down the line. And I'm here to tell you, it's continuing to come down the line because the CIA, the DOD, and these other medical organizations are lining it up as we speak. Even Robert Malone admitted it in Monday's hearing. He even said it. He said they're looking to create more shots for other quote-unquote biological weapons. Joke's on him, of course. The shot is the bioweapon. All shots are bioweapons. But if they put something else out there in the form of either a shot or like we've brought up on the show here, cranking up the 5G towers, 
or the other ill effects of having AIDS from the shots or whatever. And if the news starts talking about it and the TV and all the dummies there, then the masses in these organizations are going to blindly believe it yet again. And someone like her, who's at least two or three shots or more deep and still walking around, I'm shocked, but still walking around and still wearing two masks, they don't stand a chance. And like the, like the audio I played at the beginning of this episode, I don't think that they're going to get it. I just don't think that if you keep buying it time and time again, you're going to make it. And even if you do figure it out by then, unfortunately, it may be a little too late. So not ending on an upper, but uh, it's, it's an unfortunate reality that we have to witness. And frankly, it makes me sad. She was a nice gal and still is friendly, but there's clearly more going on up there in between the ears than, than what meets the eye. And unfortunately, too, we can see it <laughs> and we, we know what's going on between the ears without even them having to tell us because they give it away. So they'll just keep giving it away, unfortunately. Um, okay, a couple of reminders here. I didn't bring this up and I meant to. If you haven't seen the interview that Stu Peters did with Cynthia McKinney, I highly recommend looking that up on Rumble and watching it. Highly educational. Cynthia McKinney was, uh, is a, uh, a, a black woman. She was from Georgia and represented a Georgia district and was a representative in Washington. But she would not sign the Zionist papers to pledge allegiance to Tel Aviv. And then voter fraud occurred with her election, and she disappeared. And she wouldn't get hired anywhere. And uh, then she had to leave the United States and apparently still lives outside of the United States teaching at a college or a university somewhere else. But she tells her story, and she talks about, again, the Zionist influence of the United States. And uh, it is quite the interview. So I highly recommend that, too. And that was on Stu Peters, I want to say, maybe like a week and a half to two weeks ago. Other than that, I will again post that Kazarian uh, Mafia, the God Eaters, parts one and two in the description below if you're interested in checking that out. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, also check out the Substack if you're interested. Have a great weekend. I will catch you on Monday. There will be a Monday episode next week and a Wednesday episode. There will not be a Friday episode next week, and there won't be a following Monday episode either given Thanksgiving and all, and uh, family time and things of that nature. So, there you go. Other than that, have a good one. I'll catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.